Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Todd Hagopian and Kevin Hobby. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have a very special guest today, Angela McCardle of the LA County Libertarians, uh, who is also a Libertarian National Chair candidate in 2022. Angela? Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, thank you for coming. This is going to be a good episode. Uh, again, we want to kind of start off as we always do with your path to liberty. So Angela, if you could just kind of walk us through what you what got you started on this path and, and how you came to be sitting here today. Sure. Well, it's sort of an act in two parts. And I'd say that the first part is a little bit boring. Maybe it's three parts, actually. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick with three parts. So I grew up in just, you know, the typical Southern conservative Christian home. My, my dad was a Republican. My mom was a Republican. We talked a lot about politics, but when, when I look back on it and reflect, none of it was particularly deep or inspiring. It was very just, you know, toe the line. And when we moved to California, I was a teenager and met other people. And there was um, like a, a local music hangout where we would all go as teenagers. And I had this really pivotal but informal chat with someone like an older rocker guy in a band who asked me about my political views. And I explained, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican, but, but I don't really like, I don't care about gay marriage. You know, like, I don't, I don't care if gay people get married. And I think the drug war is kind of stupid. Like, I don't think people should go to jail for weed. And he said, oh, well, you know, it sounds to me like you're more of a libertarian. He briefly explained that to me. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's, that's pretty much what I am. It's practically the same. I'll just be that. And so that just sort of percolated in my head, you know, as a 17 year old for quite a while. I, I don't think I changed my party registration. I know I voted libertarian when I had the chance. But then further down the line, I heard about Ron Paul, Act Two. And I started to read The Creature from Jekyll Island, this yeah. book about the Federal Reserve. And I just had this, oh, this just worldview imploding moment where I was like, it's all fake. Everything that I thought about politics, it's a lie. The Federal Reserve, the government monster. So that got me more interested in libertarianism. Um, and it, it wigged me out so much that I really felt more like an anarchist and started to refer to myself as an anarchist. And I wanted to operate completely outside of politics. But then, Act three, I got kind of roped back in when I was doing volunteer work with the homeless population in downtown LA because city council decided they were going to try to ban food sharing as in feeding homeless people in public. So all of a sudden I was thrust into local politics and organized this huge protest uh, outside of a city council member's office on Vine and Hollywood. It was wildly successful. They tabled the motion and I thought, okay, well, Politics are so evil, right? But apparently it does, like you could do some good if you fight against stuff that sucks. Yeah. So I continued to do that and I got more down the libertarian rabbit hole when I started uh, collecting signatures to repeal SB 277, the mandatory vaccination law for children in California. And after that, I did slowly get involved in the local LP and started going to social meetups and meeting people and you know, the rest is history. I've just been 
locked into this, you know, what I call a bad romance with the LP ever since. Love it or hate it, I just can't get away from it. I can't get enough. Well, the interesting thing about what I'm hearing is it was almost like you were born a libertarian, which most people aren't, because you had the views prior to uh, even knowing what it was, which is interesting because most people, you know, come from some place different uh, and then and then change their views over time. It seems like that's pretty interesting. The other thing that I thought was interesting there was the two main protests or the two main big activities that you were involved in actually helped people. They weren't just protesting um, things, you know, that uh, that weren't known for. It was protesting things that helped people like feeding the homeless and stopping mandatory vaccines, which I think is interesting because I don't think that's the reputation that libertarians have. Um, that, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, there were other libertarians who volunteered with me down on Skid Row. And I think that most people, you know, they don't think of libertarians that way, but there were quite a few of us who were very dedicated and passionate to helping people who are just, they are, it's so sad. The average person doesn't even look at these homeless people like they're people. They look at them like they're a fire hydrant or, or a piece of garbage. And I am not a particularly emotional, touchy-feely person, but I gotta tell you, the first time I went down there it changed my life and it changed my perspective on humanity. And when I saw how poorly managed all of the government programs are, I realized like this has got to be done by private people who genuinely care, yeah. not just by throwing you know tax dollars at the government machine that tries to churn people into social programs that, that fail them year after year. Yeah, well, I'm literally having the government write tickets to somebody who's trying to feed somebody who's hungry. I mean, that's absurd. It's insane. Uh, Florida, Florida law is the worst. They've had some really bad problems with it down there. Got, you know, videos of cops arresting senior citizens, throwing granny in jail. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine doing that as my job, just doing my job, just locking up grandma with her peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, dangerous weapon. <laughs> These are the times we live in. Well, Angela, you and I actually met um, when I was uh, in my very, very abbreviated chair room. Uh, you and I had a <laughs> good long discussion um, and I was just amazed at how active you were in the party and all the things you had done. You wanna kind of walk us through some of the things that you've done inside the party, what you've liked, what you found out you were good at, what you maybe didn't like so much and, and how other people can get involved, you know, as they start getting involved in the party. Sure. So. I used to just attend the meetups socially. And when I joined the party officially, I'd been coming to the meetups for quite a while already. So I ran for a very small position, which I uh, hold now. Actually, I initially ran for vice chair of a meetup. So LA County is such a big party that the county party is broken into smaller sections. So I ran to be vice chair of a little section. And then I thought, ooh, that was fun. Like I won and I love organizing things and inviting people and getting speakers. So less than a year later, I ran to be chair of the party and I won a very contentious election, but it was really fun and really exciting. And, uh, you know, so ever since then, I have been chair of the LA County party and I do a whole lot as, as county chair. I organize obviously business meetings and run the executive committee but I organize protests. I organize, we've got a blanket drive going right now for the homeless population in downtown LA. 
We draft resolutions and pieces to be submitted for public comment, especially opposing the lockdown. We're working on a decriminalization initiative right now and um, something to sort of be a counterpoint to the defund the police movement where we're saying, well, we should definitely defund part of their services, but how about you do it by not enforcing drug laws? So that's some of the stuff I do as a, as a county chair, technically. Uh, some, of the, some of the things that I do that are not technical would be organizing human beings, training people, identifying what roles they would fit into best. Sure. These are all things you've got to do as a leader, right? Uh, meeting people and encouraging them, helping them on their path to libertarianism, which means not bludgeoning people over the head with Murray Rothbard when they come to you and they say, I think I'm new to libertarianism, but I still, you know, want to make sure everyone has health care, right. things like that, you know, just sort of a little bit of handholding and uh, compassion and friendship with people who are new. And certainly it's like uh, dealing with a, a skittish horse trying to get libertarians who hate the LP to join the LP and say, hey, <laughs> we're not all crazy, right? Come look at everything great in LA County. We all get along really well. We do actual activism and believe it or not, we oppose the lockdown and we're being very vocal about it. So that's some of the stuff I do. Um, I think you asked about some of the stuff that I've done besides LA County or thing, other things? Yeah, just anything else inside of the party that you've been involved in that, that is interesting or people might not know. Oh, sure. Okay, you know what I completely spaced on is before I ran for LA County chair, I ran for Congress twice. Yeah, yeah I was waiting for that. <laughs> so in 2017, while I was, or 2016, I was attending meetups and just you know, hanging out socially and, you know, very involved in the culture of the local party. The state chair at the time, Ted Brown, who is a very nice person, said, Angela, there's a, there's an opening for, for, a con and there's a congressional race coming up in your district. It's a special election. You should run. And I said, um, no, I'm an anarchist. I love coming to your meetups and eating Mexican food with you all, but no. And then Ted is relentless, if anyone's ever met him. He's so nice and so relentless. And he just kept hounding me until finally I said, oh, okay, I'll do it, you know. And uh, I didn't win, but I didn't come in last. And there were 20, there were 23 people on the ballot. And I think there were two, no, I think it was up to with the write-ins, it was like 26 people. So I beat some Democrats. So that was, that was exciting. And I ran again in 2018. I got eight and a half percent of the vote and grew the party locally. So that was rad. And uh, I also for one year was state party secretary. I filled a vacancy. And I got to tell you that I think I did a pretty darn good job considering that I was really sick that year. I have Crohn's disease. I was attending like multiple meetings and even like when I was in the hospital for like two weeks. Secretary is the hardest job in the party. It's really, really hard. Um, I don't want to discourage anyone ever from running for secretary, but you got to know Robert's rules of words. You got to keep track of all of your data. You've got to send out email motions. You need to attend meetings. I was on seven committees that year. Wow. Let's see if I can remember them all. In addition to chairing LA County, operations, social media, bylaws. I was a platform alternate. I can't remember them all. Convention committee. It was a ton. It's a ton of work. 
So that's some of the other stuff I've done. And I'll be totally honest, my secretary drove me insane. That's not suited for my skill set. Right. But, you know, it's a, it's a job that I learned to do in spite of that. And I think that having to carry that burden for a year made me better at chair. And it made me, you know, gave me a better understanding of what it really takes to run a political organization. Sure. Well, let me ask one more question and then I'll throw it over to Kevin. Um, but you touched on that over 20 people ran for the congressional race. And I think uh, in about 48 states, that doesn't make sense to anybody. So could you explain a little bit about California and why that happens and how those races have been? Oh, sure. So California has this terrible, it sounds great, but it's actually terrible law where we have jungle primaries. So our primary is open and pretty much anyone can run. You can be independent, you can be in the party, you need to just go out and collect 40 signatures to get on the ballot. And then we vote in the primaries and the top two people who, the top two vote getters proceed on to the general election. So it's called a top two primary. So I ran in the top two, I did not make it to the general election, but that's how it works. And it's something that we've been trying to get reversed for several years now so that, you know, all the parties can be on the ballot. Yeah. But that's, that's a, you know, one of the charms of living in yeah. California. Yeah, and we, uh, we had Chris Powell, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was our gubernatorial candidate in 2018 and he's a current elected libertarian in Oklahoma. And he was on the show the other day talking about jungle primaries uh, at, among other topics, but brought it up and just the fact that it stops libertarians from, from getting to the general election, which stops you know the majority of California from ever being able to see the libertarian you know on the ballot. So, um, so anyway, when you said over 20 candidates, I just wanted to have somebody who's been there explain what that was because we didn't go deep into it. Kevin, what do you got over there? So, Angela, you just announced you're running for chair of the LP. Yeah, I sure uh, did. Can you tell us? Can you tell us about that? Talk about it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I absolutely love the Libertarian Party. Uh, it's it's a relationship. It's a big commitment to me, and it's got its ups and its downs. It's got its pros and its cons. And I have been so absolutely just passionate and on fire for this organization. But I've also been really disappointed by its leadership at the national level lately. And by the way, at this point, I really want to distinguish between the county level, the state level, and the national level. Lately, the national party has just absolutely failed to rebuke the lockdowns. And that has been the driving force that's inspired me to run. You know, I'm running because I want to see the party put liberty at the forefront of its messaging again. And I want the LP to become more welcoming place for other libertarians because it's not right now, but we're working on it. We're working on it. And you know, the other thing that I think is really important, I would say this rounds out the top three is that I want the national party to be better organized. It seems like every four years, we just run this hamster wheel of desperate ballot access. No one seems to know what its purpose is. No one agrees what the national party's purpose is. And no one seems to know what it does besides try to secure ballot access every four years, send out a newsletter and disappoint people on Twitter. So I'd like to make it a little bit clearer what the national party does, have a, there be a little bit more cohesion. And also quite frankly, you know, shine a light on the accomplishments of some of the people in the national party who are really great activists and get a lot done because they're sort of our unsung heroes, you know, they exist, but they don't get a spotlight. 
And that opens us up, I think, to even more critiques and misnomers by the broader liberty movement. Yeah, well, and I think uh, it's a great, great couple points. And I think one interesting issue is 2016 versus 2020. You know, there are a lot of reasons that people can come up with why we did worse in 2020 than 2016. One thing that you can't deny is that we actually finally had an issue um, that potentially transcended parties, and that was masks. And you saw it in the Indiana gubernatorial race, um, where he actually was able to take, you know, almost, he either almost set the gubernatorial record or he set it, but he was within a few percent of setting the nationwide gubernatorial record for a libertarian um, on a single issue in in just a random state, you know, and, and we could have been running on that in in a couple dozen states, uh, and and we hardly heard any of that coming out of national. Um, they were certainly quick to take credit for Indiana, you know, <laughs> but but we didn't replicate that anywhere, and it could have been done everywhere. Yeah, I was extremely, you know, I was extremely impressed with Donald Rainwater's campaign, and it was really inspiring. And then I was really disappointed with, you know, the national parties. Like, oh look, look, we helped. Look at we did it, but but you don't see any of that messaging flowing upstream or, or downstream between national and the rainwater campaign. So there's been a real disconnect. The, the opportunity loss over speaking out against the lockdowns at the national level is just, it's, it's abysmal. I, I can't even quantify it, you know? And something that we're learning, I, I wanna talk about Joe Jorgensen for a moment. And something that people don't understand is you have to distinguish the national party a little bit from Joe because she ran her own campaign. National doesn't tell her what to say. Right. However, the delegates at the national convention voted for her. Right. Now the delegates at the national convention in 2016 voted for Gary Johnson. So, you know, we're, we're, very, we're very glad that Gary Johnson got a really high percentage of votes and we're very sad that Joe Jorgensen didn't. However, she did get second place. But now let's look at their messaging. I was not happy with a lot of the things that Joe Jorgensen said. Caveat that you're not gonna agree with anybody 100%, right? Sure. Yep. However, we also had Joe Jorgensen quoting Murray Rothbard on Twitter and saying some really great stuff in addition to all the times that she dropped the ball and you know, said stuff that I don't agree with in messaging. Yep. So what it shows me is that you know, the National Party is not totally on track yet, but we are getting on track. We are moving in a much better direction. And we did have an actual libertarian run for president. And same with Spike Cohen, who ran for VP. Also another person who's an actual libertarian. He's not an ex-Republican. No offense to ex-Republicans. <laughs> no, that's a very good point. I agree. Um, and so talk a little bit about, I think you touched on this, um, but Nationals penchant to maybe, um, I don't wanna say this wrong, but essentially say bad things about big names in the movement um, who lots of people like, and then that causes lots of people to not like national. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So the Libertarian Party is a little bit confused about its place in the Liberty Movement. We seem to think that we're the foundation of Libertarianism, but we're not. We're a piece of the pie. The foundation of libertarianism is libertarians. And people who have been in the party a long time and they insulate themselves within the party and, 
and don't really uh, hang out with libertarians outside of the party. They, they, the people within the LP just become blind to criticism. And we get so angry and elitist at other people who make any success or headway outside of the party. We just can't allow them to have you know, any room in the liberty narrative with, within the LP. So people like Ron Paul and Thomas Massey get a lot of hate. Justin Amash got some hate quite a bit before he flipped libertarian. And that is not a good way to win people over. We don't need to go out and endorse Republicans, obviously. We're a completely different political party. But there's no reason to go around saying that Ron Paul hasn't done anything for liberty. Because if you take a look at the liberty movement as a whole, it looks a lot more like Ron Paul than it does Gary Johnson. Is there room in the party for people who were inspired by both of those individuals? Of course, absolutely. So let's make room instead of trying to push one or the other out. Let's just make the Libertarian Party about, oh, I don't know, libertarianism and, you know, celebrate liberty instead of trying to make it this like toxic LP elitist club, because ultimately we just shoot ourselves in the foot when we do that. Yeah. What's been your experience? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. What's been your experience with that, Kevin? Uh, as far as, you know, I'm a big bottom unity guy. I think that we need to be supporting everybody that's in the liberty movement. Anytime that we inch towards it. One thing that I always say is, you know, I don't see the point of being the most libertarian to ever libertarian when we're standing in the bread lines. I think that we need to celebrate everybody as they're moving as any increments towards liberty and this libertarian elitism and stuff it's a really big turnoff that i think i've seen the lp kind of make that over the past couple of years uh, i do want to go back to an earlier point though because something that you brought up that i don't think a lot of people realized but i did so when i got elected to vice chair of the oklp that was my first be time being involved with the party and i was on a state level and I assume that there was a lot of connection between national and the state level. And I was appalled that there's no connection at all. Most of them don't even know that the others exist. Um, so kind of what's your plan with that to fix that? I would like to open lines of communication first and foremost. So, you know, there's already bylaws in place that specifies what national can and can't do. There's not a lot about its purpose and there's some wiggle room. But I think that keeping chairs, national, I'm sorry, keeping state party chairs actively aware of what's going on at the national level and getting their input and asking them to submit things. You know, why don't you contact your region rep and ask them to sponsor this resolution? Why don't you contact your region rep and ask them to ask for messaging or for this or for that? That is one of the first things that I want to see happen. And if I'm elected chair, I'm definitely going to be encouraging people to do that because that's how I run my county party. And that's why we're so cohesive, we get a lot done and no one's in the dark about what's going on ever. You know, I'd rather someone get a few more annoying emails than go four or five months without hearing anything and wondering, hey, what's the point of this? Why, do, why did I vote for you? You know, why does the national party exist? What are you doing? Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and we probably should have warned you. I don't know that you've met Kevin, um, but part of the fun of this podcast is Kevin comes from the left and I come from the right. So, uh, so two different um, parts of libertarianism. That's why I sometimes throw it over there and, and see mm -hmm. he's thinking of what you're saying. And um, so, so talk a little bit about that because you did, you touched on it. Um, and I know 
there's there's both sides, right and left. So talk about how you're going to appeal to both uh, throughout your run. Appealing to left libertarians is that what you mean? Well, left and right. You know how how do you how do you set that table um, so that you're going to be a chair for all libertarians? You know, somewhat of how you talked about it, but you know how delegates are. So how are you going to talk to the different delegates? You know, of the different clubs and and kind of show that you can bring this party together where others haven't been able to? Sure. So I think one of the one of the best things to do is to stop hating on people who don't agree with you on every little thing. Uh, we need to kind of drop that as part of party culture. Oh, I remember you. You voted for Vermin Supreme two years ago. So I'm going to unfriend you and delete you and block you because I hate you because your candidate has stupid memes. Like, this is honestly how people within the party behave. This is, so dropping that sort of behavior would be a huge leap up in opening lines of communication and getting, uh, getting rid of some of that toxic internal fighting. So, you know, you ask what I'm gonna do. I think it's more in that particular regard is what I'm not gonna do. So I'm not gonna engage with people who want to sow, you know, seeds of divisiveness over minuscule things like I care a little bit more about talking about legalizing sex work than I do about ending the Fed. Oh, okay, do you still wanna end the Fed? Yes. Okay, I think we're on the same page. Next yeah. issue, you know? We yeah. need to minimize our differences and focus on promoting liberty. Yeah, oh, that's great. No, I think that's an excellent point. And that's something that we definitely need more of because I, I don't feel like it's been that way. I feel like everybody kind of has their own little factions in their own little echo chamber and I don't like you because you're part of this group and oh you can't and it, it just it gets exhausting it is it is so exhausting you know I have friends who are in the outright libertarians caucus which is obviously the LGBT uh, Q caucus but they also seem to focus a little bit more on left-leaning social issues I don't care go ahead go ahead and promote libertarianism in whatever way you want, as long as it's actually libertarianism, if you're going to highlight the, those issues when you're trying to appeal to your gay friends who are on the left, fine, go for it. Like whatever your messaging strength is, my messaging strengths are different. You know, we it takes all kinds. Like let's just be okay with that and then just move on. Yeah, no, that's great. Talk a little bit. One one of the interesting things. So this was the first convention that I went to. Uh, and, and so I was in Orlando and watching the votes come in um, for chair and whatnot. And one thing that I thought was interesting is that there would be entire states that would vote for one guy and then entire states that would vote for the other guy. And I just thought that was interesting. And obviously, you know, looking back on it, it makes sense, you know. So-and-so has been to that state four times, but he hasn't been to this other state or they're real good friends with the chair and the vice chair, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff plays into it. What's a campaign, a successful campaign for LMC chair look like when you know that you're going to have to get the votes of the majority of over a thousand delegates and you actually don't know who those delegates are yet? Oh, well, it involves spreadsheets and learning lots of names and there's YouTube <laughs> tutorials to help you with that. But honestly, it means providing resources for people who are asking for resources and putting in the work to go and meet people and showing that you're dedicated and that you can handle it. Uh, that you're willing to go to conventions. A big deal for me about visiting conventions is actually showing up to business and seeing what these people you know, have to deal with and what their issues are. So 
conventions are fun. Everybody likes to party at conventions. People get, uh, people get drunk and they stay up late and they sleep in and they scramble. And I, I don't hate fun. I might hate fun, but, but I will be at business, you know, because I really, because business is fun to me because I'm just sick like that, you know, whatever. So for me, it's, it's showing up and putting in the work, but it's showing up. I actually, I think this might be something that I picked up from reading about sales. I don't think that it's appropriate or the best possible strategy to show up and ask someone, what do you need? What do you want? I think you need to anticipate their needs and show up with a solution and already be ready to help them. That's what impresses people. And that's the most time saving, efficient way to do things. And I think that's what a good leader should do. And going to different states, you can you can take the best practices of each state, bring it to the next one, and so on. I think um, one interesting one, Kevin. I can't remember if you were at the Oklahoma convention. I think you were had moved at that point in time. But um, John Phillips and Karen Ann Harlos uh, came to the Oklahoma state convention this last time, and so did Jorgensen, but only for you know for her part. Uh, but they came for the business. And I just thought that was really interesting because there were certainly points in time um, where they either either spoke or spoke through somebody else that said, hey, there's this, uh, oh, and uh, Bowman, I think, was there too. And, and they, they were able to provide insight on what they've seen in other states in a similar situation. And it really helped us kind of break through um, some stumbling blocks that we had hit during the business. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things that I do for LA County as their chair is I'll help people make motions. So if you want to get this piece of business done and you want to get it done in the least painful way possible, rather than me say, well, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to do it for you. I say, okay, so here's how you would word that if you want to do that. And then you let someone figure that out, you know, uh, with a little bit of help. And, and if you anticipate a lot of uh, drama and there's going to be a lot of fighting, you don't have to shut someone down. You just have to remind them, hey, I think what you're trying to do is X, Y, Z. I'm going to let you do that. But I want to give you five seconds to look around and read the room. You know, if you want to do it now, go ahead. If you want to think about it and come back later, go ahead. No harm, no foul. Just letting people do things like that without knocking them down, you know, without trying to damage someone's ego. Those are the sort of things that you can, you can really help as a chair, but also as just someone visiting and, and observing business when people are a little bit inexperienced at convention. And even during business, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Orlando, you were up at the mic quite a few times and you delivered some of uh, those words on a couple occasions where it was basically, you know, look around at the room, see how people are reacting. You know, maybe if you want to pass something like this, we should consider X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? And, Absolutely. and those, are, those were great comments. You know, we were way far away from you and all of us were just nodding our head, you know, like, yeah, okay, let's move Thanks. on. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to save, I want to save people time, and I want to spare them pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? it, wasn't, it wasn't in your face, it was just kind of like, you know, you, you know where this is going to finish, <laughs> so, so if we want to do it, let's redraft it, and try it again a different way, uh, but let's go to the next topic, <laughs> so, um, and that was probably one of the, one of the, you know, few helpful strategies that allowed us to get through as much business as we actually finally ended up getting through oh. after the start, <laughs> so. Can't wait, gonna do it again in two years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
Um, now, one thing that uh, people have asked me is, is why did you announce so early, so early into um, Joe's tenure? Do you have any anything to say about that or any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's because of the lockdowns. I have nothing against uh, Joe Bishop Hinchman personally, and I will not be doing negative campaigning against him. Uh, he seems like a very nice person. You know, he seems like um, like a good spouse and like a caring individual. I am extremely disappointed at National's response to the lockdowns. And I don't buy it if someone says, oh, it's a state issue. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not. It's a national issue because we have the person who's probably going to be our president saying he's going to institute federal mandates for masks and possibly lockdowns. National needs to speak out. So that's definitely something that, that pushed me. And, and I think that I need to be talking about it not right now. Or I'm sorry, I need to be talking about it right now not in a year and a half and say, hey, remember that, you know, it needs to be timely. And that was my next question. So do you think it will still be an issue in a year and a half or you'll think it's just a, it's just a missed opportunity that we'll be talking about at that point in time? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I'd love to be optimistic yep. and say, hey, it's all gonna go back to normal, but let's look at some of the things that have been gross infringements of our liberties in the, in the recent past. We've got uh, the Patriot Act. That didn't go away. Yep. You know, so that really disturbs me. It doesn't seem like when we pass scary laws that in six months time we say, oh, just kidding, we don't need it anymore. So, Has there ever been a time in American history where the government expanded its power and then gave it back? Rubbish. <laughs> well, I mean, in times of war, Okay, Abraham Lincoln did some pretty gnarly stuff. You know, he threw, he threw reporters in jail. I believe he commandeered property. He did some bad stuff. And I don't think that we've necessarily repeated that exactly. I mean, oh, well, we got, you know, the Julian Assange issue. But we don't have a good track record of undoing things, that's for sure. It does definitely, obviously, make it easier to do next time. So, so for example, I mean, um, what was it that Obama had? Was that the bird flu or some some S one and swine flu? Swine, swine flu. flu. That's what it was, yeah. So yep. Obama had the swine flu, which wasn't nearly as um, as devastating. Uh, um, but say the next time we have a swine flu of that magnitude, you know, do we all suddenly have a lockdown because COVID had a lockdown? You know what I mean? Now. Now every, I think it's been every 10 years, we've had a major outbreak of something. It's just never been of this magnitude. So are we gonna have a, you know, what is gonna be the new threshold for lockdown? Does it go down every time? You know, does the next big democratic politician call for a lockdown early on in every pandemic, you know, quote unquote pandemic, just so that they can get a name for themselves? You know, does that, is that one of those things that starts to happen? Um, just like, you know, raising or, you know, giving away free money and stuff like that. It just becomes one of those things that, that you can run on. So that's what I would be worried about. Yeah. You know what's crazy about you brought up the swine flu and what's crazy about that is we we kind of forget about it now, but whenever it was going really, really hard, there were a lot of deaths, a lot. And it was it was pretty bad. And now we just kind of act like it never happened. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that, right? I want this to go away like it never happened, but 
it is it's weird to look back and reflect on that and I was a financial advisor for a while and have been in the market for a long time. And one thing that we always used to say is that Americans have the shortest memories ever. Um, stuff like this happens. And two years later, you know, it's like nothing happened. So swine flu. Um, all of us were buying airline stocks because we knew two years later, nobody would know. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody would care anymore. Um, and, uh, and so that would be my assumption on how it's all going to play out. But this one was big enough, um, you know, that, that it might be different. But I think a couple of years from now, we're going to be, everyone will be flying again. I've already told my, all my customers that I'll be on the road in Q1. Um, so, so I think everyone's anticipating that, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. What do you think the big issues are going to be nationwide in 2022? Oh, I think we're probably going to be battling over some form of UBI yep. and and uh, some form of government health care. Yep. I think we're going to have some really weird foreign tensions, and we won't know whether that's going to be with China, Russia, or someone else until January when someone, you know, assumes, ascends to the throne of the presidency that's how someone's treating it, right? I don't know if you saw Joe Biden's list of executive orders and other insane things that he wants to do, but I was like, dude, this isn't a monarchy. <laughs> so frightening. I think, you know, executive authority is also going to be another uh, hot button issue for 2022. So many things to choose from, and they're all just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting. I think, uh, what did you, did you hear about any of this? Um, uh, what's his name? The libertarian multi-billionaire Coke. Um, and he came out the other day and, and said something about how he really regrets kind of fueling this partisanship that's gone into the country. Did you read anything about this? It was kind of interesting. I did, but I, I honestly, I just sort of skimmed it when I saw it yeah, shared it just, on social media. Yeah, it was just interesting. It's just something to, I think that we should all keep an eye on because um, what it sounded to me like he was saying, and of course it says this as he's still funding Purdue's run in Georgia. So, you know, whether or not he's going to be nonpartisan or not is, is up for debate. But what he was basically saying is he was going to start funding causes and not parties. And you know, if he does that, that's something the Libertarian Party could really um, start to work on, you know, latching on to some of his causes, because he is a libertarian. He's obviously gone super partisan in certain ways and, and funded candidates who, who he admits, you know, strayed from his views. Um, but if he goes back to funding views that he supports, that might be something that's just interesting for the party in general. Oh, absolutely. And this is something that the Mises Caucus is really focused on. Uh, I should have mentioned earlier, I am one of the state coordinators for the California Mises Caucus, and we're very active. We really think that issue coalition is going to be the best way to defeat the two-party system and to get our foot in the door, especially locally. Because when it comes to, you know, things that impact people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis, like, you know, parking tickets, local city taxes, the drug war, People are going to care a lot less about what party you're in, and they're going to care a lot more about what you have to say and what you can do for them. Yeah. And that's where we should be trying to work our angle. You know, we need to work on issue coalition building if we ever want to be able to really compete 
against Republicans and Democrats in major electoral races. And I think, um, you know, I'm an Oklahoma uh, meetings delegate and our uh, state coordinator. And if you could talk a little bit about the issue coalitions, I think that's something that not a lot of people outside of um, our organization know what you mean. Uh, but I think it's really interesting what, what they're trying to do. And, and it'd be great to see other caucuses and, and whatnot doing the same thing, or more importantly, national kind of putting together issues that we could then try and look for opportunities nationwide to go after locally. So if you want to talk a little bit about what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So something that the Mises Caucus is focused on is issue coalitions. Uh, one, of the one, one of the issues that they helped to really get off the ground was the Decrim Denver initiative to decriminalize psilocybin in Denver, Colorado. Mises Caucus played an active role in getting that passed. And uh, that, you know, that's a nonpartisan issue. So, you know, we sort of helped to form the stone that made the ripple in the water on that because once that took off in Denver, you saw it replicated in uh, Oakland and now it's been passed at the state level up in the Northeast. This is, this is a, it's fantastic progress, right? That's a great way to get your name out and it's a great way to get involved in politics, to be able to reach across the aisles and work with people and turn them on to liberty because that's a very libertarian issue. And it was really cool to see Republicans and Democrats also champion it and actually work together to make the world a freer place. Yeah, and so as I understand the strategy is basically you pick a handful of issues that you really believe in and really think that you can change on a local level and then have all of your state coordinators and, and state chapters look for opportunities to basically um, to run a challenge on it and try to put it in place. So whether it's some um, uh, to a sanctuary or something like that, or whatever the issue is that people surround and decide that's going to be their issue. Um, and then, and then you just look nationwide for the best opportunities to drive that. Is that kind of what the issue coalition is? And you can learn how to do it in this one place and then replicate that success in other places. Yes. So in California, we're sort of looking at two things right now. We're looking at decriminalization initiatives and we're looking at uh, local, local levels where we can oppose the lockdown because local city or county governments are opposing uh, dictator Newsom's mandates. So what we tell people to do is check out your city council meetings or your county board of supervisors meetings, see who supports what, you know, ch check out the budget, see if, there's, see if there's a lot of money budgeted towards uh, drug enforcement, which way is the wind blowing, you know? And do you think we have an opportunity to get something decriminalized? If we do, great. So let's look at some of the template legislation that we've already, you know, sort of worked with. Stuff for Denver, stuff in, in other cities and other counties, municipalities. Take a look, meet the right people, submit it to them, get some sponsorship, attend meetings locally and see what you can do. That's sort of how, the approach that we try to take in the California Mises Caucus. And that's obviously molded, you know, by the leadership at the national caucus level. Sure, and I love um, I love the decrim angle of the because um, I get a lot of I get a lot of shit on Twitter. I'm sure you've seen and probably disagreed with a, a lot of tweets that I put out there because I support the Black Lives Matter movement. And what I've always talked about is the reason I do is because I support the D um, the criminal justice reform aspect of the movement. And I think what you're saying is essentially what I'm trying uh, less eloquently to say is 
is basically that there is a way to defund the police and make us all safer. Um, and it's by, you know, demilitarizing them, stopping enforcing drug laws, you know, take every law that doesn't have a victim off the books. And if you do all that stuff, you need less police, you need less SWAT teams and dogs and, you know, all this stuff. And, and the budget does come down naturally. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's just an interesting approach um, to kind of gather the people on the left that want to defund the police, but also the people on the libertarian, the, the more right libertarians who are looking to, um, to really go after the drug laws. Absolutely. I, instead of calling it defund the police, I say that we need to reform or refocus them and take more things out of their purview, you know, out of their scope. Why do we have untested rape kits sitting on shelves? That seems absurd. We yeah. got cops shaking people down in the corner to see if they have a tiny bag of crack in their pocket. I don't care. I care that there's like, a, you know, someone was murdered in my neighborhood three months ago and we don't know who did it. Geez, that's a problem, you know. I don't care about someone's bag of crack. That's that's a personal problem that I don't need government, you know, meddling in. Yeah. So that's the sort of stuff that I definitely want to see the Libertarian Party champion, and I want to see us do it in a way that I think is meaningful and that will bring people from both sides of the aisles over to look into the issue. Republicans, obviously, you know, they're usually pretty big on drugs, on on drug war, drug crime stuff. But they're coming around a little bit slowly as the culture changes. And I always love to highlight, you know, fiscal responsibility with them. Look at how yeah. much money the cops wasted. These yeah. are your tax dollars. Mm -hmm. There's a way to do it. Kevin, do you have any uh, questions before we let Angela give all her, um, all her places we can find her? I, I don't have any questions. I just want to say I, I really love your message of um, uniting the party of professionalizing the party. I love, love, love your um, message. I guess it's the Mises Caucus message of focusing on issues and kind of uniting with the left and the right on the things that we agree on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to your run for chair. I think this was a great episode. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Well, Angela, just before you leave, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, how they can help you and uh, how they can contact you. Sure. So if you're interested in getting active in the party, I highly recommend that you join the California party through the LA County website, which is lplac.us. You can find a lot of the stuff that I worked on with the county party there and articles I've written as chair, photos of the activism that we've done. Uh, if you want to find out more about my campaign updates, I'll get all of that going in January. And you could, my website is just my name, angelamacardle.com. And you can always hit me up on Twitter at Angela for Congress. Very good. Well, thanks again. This was a fantastic episode. Um, and uh, we're looking to run it, looking forward to running it, and looking forward to having you back on when you're in the swing of things, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. It was my pleasure. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.